Hi everyone, I'm Becky. And this is Claire. And welcome to another episode of Podway. Podway! So in this podcast, we mostly talk about musicals, but hopefully some days plays in theaters or some sort of that kind of thing. But in today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the Percy Jackson musical. All right. So if I'm not mistaken, last time we were doing a very Potter musical or very Potter sequel in this case. So we're very much continuing in the same lane of going to Camp Half-Blood rather than Hogwarts. So <laughs> I'll just give a very brief summary of the Lightning Thief musical. So it follows Percy Jackson, who is a troubled kid who one day discovers he is a demigod. He is sent on a quest along with his friends to retrieve Zeus's missing lightning bolt and save his mom. All right, short and sweet summary and a bigger one coming later on. Claire, what's your familiarity like with Percy Jackson and with the Lightning Thief musical in particular? So with musical, none. None. (laughs) And with the book or the original work, I guess. With the movie. I think (laughs) I saw the movie so long ago, but I don't really remember what happened. I just remember like maybe towards the end of the movie, there were like gigantic gods that were talking to Percy. And I was thinking, why do they have to make Greek gods so big? And I I mean, I might be mistaken. Maybe I remember it wrong, but Mm -hmm. that was the only thing I remember. But I know a lot of people try to compare the Percy Jackson series with Harry Potter. Yeah, I have to say though, I didn't read the books for either well for harry potter i did a little bit and for movie i really did not follow percy jackson's at all so i have no idea as to like which is better like if you want to get into that sort of debate i will have no opinion but what do you think (laughs) i don't have any debate about uh the differences between harry potter and percy jackson i have to admit a secret of mine i guess but i was very 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 involved in the percy jackson fandom um, really I yeah until literally that. like very recently I'm not going to say how recently so for years and years so I can say that Percy Jackson as a franchise is something I am familiar with uh, I read the books when I was maybe 10 or 11 so I got the book when it was first translated made big there was a lot of advertisement around it in Israel there is a thing every year called a book week. I don't know if Taiwan has it or maybe other countries have it. People can let us know. But essentially, there are like huge festivals where bookstores and book publishing companies can have like booths in an open area and sell their books to people. People who are self-publishing can get their books known to other people. So my family and I go to that every year. We're really big on reading books and uh, it's something that we cherish. I really wish that Canada had something similar. If there is something similar in Canada, specifically in Ontario, please let me know because I'd love to see one of those. The closest thing I've seen is the U of T book sale or other university book sales, but it's not quite the same because it's mainly academic or nonfiction. But anyway, that is on a tangent. Anyway, they gave me a huge pin with a Percy Jackson logo and design for the book. And that obviously attracted the child in me to read the book and be very interested in it. So I read it and I've been a dedicated follower ever since. So when the original Percy Jackson series ended so it's five books I just felt a huge gaping hole in my heart it I took it very very hard yeah and I just like tried to learn anything and everything I could about Greek mythology 
when I was reading the books, obviously, too, I have a vivid memory of looking up Cronus, for example, and there is this iconic picture of him eating his children, and I could not, like, look at it. It made me so, so, so scared. I literally had to dream <laughs> about it. Surprise, surprise. But I literally made my mom cut out the picture when I downloaded it from Wikipedia, so I won't have to look at it, but I could still read the entry. So, wow. yeah, I I really enjoyed uh, the book series and then I got really involved in the second series that came after it, which is Heroes of Olympus. And I was cringy to say, but on Tumblr, on like Percy Jackson blogs and, and theme blog for a very, very long time afterwards. So I didn't see the movie because I heard it's trash and I've seen clips from the movie because people talk about how much trash it is compared to the books. So I got somewhat involved in that and I've seen the Lightning Thief musical, which we finally get into when it came to Toronto, because I was very excited about something Percy Jackson that the fans seem to like that is available in Toronto is like what is going on. So obviously I had to see it and I saw it with the original cast, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to keep my thoughts and what I experienced and what I liked and disliked about the musical later on. But that's kind of my familiarity with the wow. franchise. Wow. Do you have a preference in terms of Harry Potter or Percy Jackson? Oh, man, this is really hard. I read Harry Potter a lot more times than I read Percy Jackson. I read Harry Potter, I think, probably over 50 times. And Percy Jackson, I've read under 10 times. And I've only read the original series more than um, like multiple times. I didn't read Heroes of Olympus or Magnus Chase or the King Chronicles or Trials of Apollos, which is the most recent one that came out. I didn't even finish the series as a whole, but all the rest of the series that are related to Percy Jackson, I, ha I have finished. So I would say probably Harry Potter still, but I was a lot more actively involved in Percy Jackson. Interesting. I honestly did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not some stuff that I would advertise. Why not? Um, I feel like it's kind of weird, you know? Why? I don't know why. Because like, A, I'm not, like, not a lot of people read Percy Jackson. And if they did, not necessarily a lot of people care that much about it. Like, they usually care more about the Greek mythology aspect of it, which I'm really interested in. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about your experience with Greek mythology, because um, that's an aspect you enjoy of it, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I started reading like all Greek myth since I was like in elementary school. Yeah. Because you know how like you have, well, in Taiwan we have like libraries and, um, and you have like the fantasy section and yes. we have like the children version of the Greek mythology. And I always thought that those are so, so, so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so I finished the whole series, which is maybe about 20 books at that time and each book like talks about a different god or goddesses and they talk about all the like mythologies that or myths like related to that that god so I was pretty familiar with Greek mythologies heroes poems like that all that sort of stuff I even took a course in university just for it because I was so so interested and I was very invested in the mythology part of the stuff so yeah, that that aspect, I think I really, really enjoy it. And it's always my favorite part of the museum. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> I go in, I'm like, I'm able to tell a story just looking at a sculpture or like a painting and I'm able to explain like what's happening and who's this person and things like that. So I really enjoy it. And I think a big 
reason why I was sort of excited about this is also that I know is related to Greek mythology. I just didn't, and I know like the, the whole semi-god thing. I just didn't know what actually was the storyline. So mm. still came into this blind, but I have pretty high expectation in terms of um, its relationship with the Greek myth. Right. Okay, that's fair. It's really interesting because I also grew up on the children version of the Greek mythology themes. Like my parents used to read it to me when I was little and probably at age like five or six, I started reading them on my own. It's the kids version. And at least the one I've read, they follow more myth by myth. So like the myth of Hercules or the Minotaur. So it's really interesting to see how the book is constructed differently. And yours follow more of a God by God theme, whereas the one I've read follow more myth by myth. So I think it's actually a lot more convenient the way you've read them, because a lot of related myths are compiled together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for me, I also was interested in Greek mythology since childhood, but reading Percy Jackson definitely rekindled it or made it stronger. And I also took a course in university about Greek mythology, though I thought it was a little bit trash. I read the Odyssey too. Um, It was a very difficult thing to read because I feel like the language is not something that is easy to understand necessarily, but I did enjoy it. You have to read it in its like original language, which obviously I don't think both of us can. But once you read the translation version, like there's bound to have something missing there. But I really enjoy it actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting. And in general, it's just a good story to, to know. Mm-hmm. anyway so yeah. yeah it's difficult though for sure oh for sure I actually had a book about learning ancient Greek and I started to read it I didn't get very very far I got like a little bit to the grammar some vocabulary and obviously the alphabet but <laughs> I tried I can say um, wow I did not know that w- yeah. what's next you're gonna start learning Latin <laughs> No, no. I mean, I literally tried ancient Greek just because I was so fascinated with the mythology. And I don't see why I would learn Latin because a lot of it, Mm. at least from my understanding, I didn't take ancient Roman mythology is just a copy paste of Greek mythology with changed names. And some gods are having a different role or a little bit diminished, like um, Athena, her equivalent is Minerva, I believe, in uh, Roman mythology. And she is a lot less important. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there is no reason for me to read copy paste, but I would learn Latin for like English stuff. A lot of SAT words and a lot of like medical terminology borrow from Latin. And I'm assuming a lot of like legal terminology too. So if you're going into any of these professions or you are interested in English, I bet Latin is going to be very useful. Yeah, not just English. I feel like every European language goes back to Latin. So it's a... Interesting language to learn, but... Didn't encounter that with German yet, but who knows? Really? Yeah, I didn't encounter a lot, because it's not a Latin language. Like, you have the French, Spanish, and Italian that are Latin Mm -hmm. language, but German is a Germanic language, so... Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, why won't we go into the in-depth summary for The Lightning Thief, the musical? 
All right. So Percy starts off the musical by retelling how he got expelled from school and how it connects to him being a half-blood. So Percy and his class were on a field trip looking at ancient Greek art, and their teacher, Mr. Brunner, was teaching them about the stories depicted in the art, namely about Cronus the Titan and how he ate his children. He ate them because he was trying to avoid a prophecy predicting his demise. After he tells them about the myth of Cronus, Percy's other teacher, Mrs. Dodds, asks him to meet her alone. She confronts him and turns into a fury, which is a type of a monster, and Mr. Brunner shows up and throws Percy a pen, which turns into a sword, and Percy manages to slay Mrs. Dodds, and she turns into dust. Later that day, Mr. Brunner breaks the news to Percy that he got expelled, citing him not staying with the group as the reason. And when Percy says that it's all Mrs. Dodd's fault for luring him away and attacking him, Mr. Brunner says he doesn't actually know who she is. And Percy's best friend, Grover, confirms that they never had a teacher called Mrs. Dodd's. Percy returns home after that and talks to his mom about his expulsion. She says that they'll find another school next year and in the meantime offers the two of them to go on a trip alone, which is a very solid reaction. Like, if I did that, my mom would probably be outraged. I don't know about your parents, <laughs> but uh, I don't think it would go that well. I don't think she'd offer me a trip, that's for sure. <laughs> She and Percy first clear it with Percy's abusive stepfather, Smelly Gabe. And then Percy asks why she's still with Gabe. Sally says that it's really complicated and decides to start revealing some of the secrets she's been keeping from him, like who his father is, for example, when they go on the trip. So she tells Percy to go on a summer camp where they would be able to tell him all the truth. And before she can say any anything more, like revealing who his dad is and what he is, Grover shows up. So Grover is actually in his satyr form. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, actually, because I've seen it mainly uh, written. It's satyr, right? I Well, you're asking the wrong person because I don't <laughs> speak it. <laughs> but I just assume it is. Okay. Anyway, that he is like human from the waist up and a goat from the waist down and tells Percy and his mom that a minotaur is after them. Sally asks Grover to take Percy safely to the border of the camp and then she will cover for them where they're at right now. Percy obviously refuses to leave his mom and kills the minotaur after the minotaur kills Sally. He then passes out and when he wakes up again, he is already at the camp. He meets the camp director, Mr. D, who is, there's a lot of Mr. D, by the way. Did you notice here? And then in a Harry Potter sequel, we have Big D, Little D. There are oh, a lot of right. <laughs> D is a popular letter. For sure. Anyway, Mr. D is the god of wine, Dionysus. Mr. D tells Percy that he is a half-blood, meaning half-god and half-mortal. And we also meet some of the other campers, and lastly, we get introduced to Mr. Brunner yet again, who is actually a centaur and is responsible for teaching at the camp. Uh, Mr. Brunner breaks the news about Percy's mom and says he doesn't know who Percy's godly father is. Percy is being comforted by his new head counselor, Luke, a child of Hermes, which is the cabin of all of Hermes' kids, obviously. And it's also the cabin for all the unclaimed kids. So the kids who don't know who their parent or godly parent is. He tells him that the gods are really busy and don't always have the time to claim their kids or to acknowledge them at all. But if they do care, they'll send a sign that they want to claim him. 
the campers play capture the flag have you ever played that by the way no okay i've played like a similar version of it uh and i hated that game it's so oh. annoying um if i could i would just like sit in the corner just not cause any trouble i really dislike this game <laughs> um so kudos for them for playing it Annabeth, a child of Athena, is the leader of their team. The captain of the other team is Clarice, a child of Ares, who wants to put Percy in his place because he managed to kill the Minotaur, and so she wants to prove she's tougher and stronger than him. Annabeth sends Percy to the bathroom to hide there so he won't mess things up, but Clarice finds him there and fights him. Percy wins by exploding the toilet, which I liked. Um, Annabeth plays- you like. Yeah, I like that because I feel like it's it's what? such a middle school environment, you know, and this they're supposed to be 12 year old. And I feel like what is a more middle school location than like a toilet, a school toilet or something like that. So I feel like it's a lot more realistic than if you were to defeat her at a river somewhere in a beautiful camp. Like I could definitely envision a toilet exploding. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. That's a good point. Now that I think about it, Harry Potter, especially in the first two books, I think has a lot of thing about toilets too. No? What What was in the first book? I can't remember if it was... No, second book, definitely. Second book, definitely. Mm-hmm. In the but... fourth movie too, I think. Oh, oh there's a bathroom. It. There's a bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, second book, toilets feature very, very heavily, that's for sure. <laughs> and actually, in the first book, there is something, if you read the book, there is a joke, if I remember correctly, that Fred and George make to Ginny. So Ron goes and means Ginny's the only one who's left at home alone. And they try to, to comfort her by saying that they'll send her a toilet seat from Hogwarts. And they actually do, by the way. <laughs> so, Seriously? Yeah. Um, so there is something toilet related. Okay, okay, more sin- uh, yeah, more similarities now. Yeah, and considering <laughs> Ginny is the culprit for the second book for everything that's happening there, mm-hmm. she is very connected to toilets, and I feel like it's she Fred and George's is. influence. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I can see it. You should write an essay about this. I should. It's going to be my dissertation. Yeah, toilet, <laughs> connection. <laughs> <laughs> connection to um late 90s early 2000s fantasy novels modern fantasy novels urban fantasy novels whatever yeah anyway (laughs) anyway yeah so essentially Annabeth placed Percy there on purpose since she knew Clarice would find him and as a result she managed to capture the uh, flag from Clarissa's team and win the game and she did all this so she can prove herself to her mom and win a quest which is a huge honor to demigods you kind of get the idea that she also figures out who Percy's godly parent is but since she's not sure she doesn't want to say anything she just keeps it to herself so that night, the campers have a campfire and complain about how bad their parents are. And at the end of the song, Percy gets claimed by Poseidon, god of the sea, and one of the big three, which are Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Percy is summoned to see Mr. Brunner and Mr. D, and we learn the big three aren't supposed to have kids because they're too powerful and they always cause trouble. So Zeus is really angry about that, but also because his lightning bolt is missing and he thinks Percy stole it to give it to Poseidon. Mr. Brunner advises Percy to speak to the spirit of Delphi so she can give him a prophecy and send him on a quest. 
And she prophesizes that Percy will go west to face the treacherous lord. You shall fight what was stolen and see it restored. You shall be betrayed by the one who calls you friend. And you shall fail to save what matter most in the end. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you. I listen to the soundtrack always. Percy goes on a quest to see the treacherous lord, who is Hades, located in LA. Currently, they're located in New York, so it's definitely going west, and retrieve Zeus's lightning bolt. So before he goes, Luke opens up about his own quest, stealing a golden apple guarded by a dragon, and he was sent on that quest by his father, Hermes. Luke got the apple, but also was attacked by the dragon, which gave him a scar on his face, which he cannot see <laughs> um, very well in what we've seen. And I don't remember seeing it very well on stage, even though I was very close, but okay. After he got the scar, he realized that the gods don't actually care about their kids. And he suggests to Percy that his mom might be at the underworld and that Percy could bring her back. He gifts him flying shoes to help him on his quest. And then, again, before going, Grover and Annabeth volunteer to go on the quest with him. So the group goes away, and pretty much straight away, they get attacked by Furies on the bus to LA, which causes it to explode, causing them to be stranded in the woods of New Jersey. They're rescued by an old woman who turns out to be Medusa, and she wants to take revenge on Annabeth because of her mom, who is the one who transformed her into a monster. The reason why Athena transformed her is because she was with Poseidon in her temple, which is very disrespectful. Percy manages to slay Medusa and asks if Annabeth doesn't like him because their parents don't get along. Annabeth admits that she's jealous, that she's trained her entire life, but Percy is actually the one who manages to get a quest, even though he's very unqualified, and he's the one to receive the honor, not her. And after that exchange, heart to heart, she trains him on how to fight well. Percy decides to be impertinent and send Medusa's head to Mount Olympus, where the gods are, on his and Annabeth's behalf. Grover, meanwhile, finds a train tickets to LA, and the group goes between stops, encountering monsters on their merry way. The train and all the public transport, unfortunately, are suspended halfway there because there are storms going around, because Zeus is very upset. They're at a loss of what to do when they are saved by Ares, the god of war. He takes them out until Vegas and leaves them afterwards. So Percy goes to sleep in between, and in his dream, he's able to hear an interaction between the lightning thief and another entity. So he hears the entity telling the thief to remember Talia and promises to change things when it's free. So the entity finally notices that Percy's there and makes Percy wake up. So when he wakes up, Percy confides in Grover and Grover recognizes Talia's name and he decides to tell Percy who she is and how he knows her. And the reason he didn't say anything before is because he thought Percy wouldn't actually take him on the quest if he knew. So the story is Chiron sent Grover to escort three half-bloods to the camp and the three half-blood were Annabeth, Luke, and Talia. And Talia was a daughter of Zeus. So one of the big three. Monsters found them before they could make it to camp, and Talia sacrificed herself to let everyone make it to camp safely. And as Talia was dying, Zeus came down and turned her into a tree so she could protect Camp Half-Blood forever. So literally right after telling the story, Grover is like, I don't know why you heard her name in your dream. I just want to say, Grover, sweetie, 
do you need like a neon sign pointing to Luke or I don't get it there are three half blood in the story somebody knew about Talia and cared about Talia enough it's not Annabeth it's not you who else could it be let's think and Annabeth also overheard them and Annabeth is like the daughter of wisdom how did she not figure it out I don't know they're kids and they believe each other they're like friends and you don't really doubt your friends I I guess in the book it makes more sense that she wouldn't because in the book she had a huge like fat crush on Luke and that caused her to ignore her better judgment she was willfully ignorant in a way but in here they don't really portray her as crushing on him in any way I really don't understand why a daughter of wisdom <laughs> wouldn't. Yeah, I don't even remember seeing them talk together, to be oh, honest. They, Except the for final the campfires. Scene, the final scene is like Luke offering Annabeth to join him. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like before that. Oh, so they have like a then. very brief moment before that where like they joke around and it's before she and Percy like go on the quest at the camp. So it's very brief. So as an aside, by the way, at this point, the rest of the musical is very different from the books. So I just want everybody to keep it in mind. The group arrives at the underworld and the shoes Luke gave Percy start to act up and drag him into Tartarus. He is saved by Grover in the end. Um, They figure out that the entity at the pit is Cronus and Cronus is the one he heard in his dream. And Annabeth also figures out that Cronus wasn't after the shoes and looked at Percy's backpack to discover the lightning bolt. So the group figures out finally that someone is trying to pit the big three gods against each other, but they are confronted by Hades before they can leave. He offers them to leave the underworld safely with Percy's mom in exchange for the lightning bolt, but the group manages to escape using a gift Percy was given by his father. So he gets a revelation that Ares is actually the one who framed Percy with the lightning bolt because as the god of war, he benefits the most from the gods going into war. He requests to fight Ares and in the end manages to defeat him. And after the fight, Poseidon goes to see Percy for the first time ever and explains everything that is happening. They have a really nice moment. um, And Poseidon explains Sally chose to be with Percy's stepdad because she was protecting him. So Smelly Gabe is so smelly that he masked Percy's scent from the monsters, allowing her to stay with him for longer. This is ridiculous, by the way. Oh, I think it's just so bullshit. Like, what do you mean, like, he's so smelly so he can cover your smell? Like, what the heck? I don't know. It's just so childish to the point that it doesn't make any sense in my head, but okay. I can see how it works. Like, if you think about, like, the way animals work, the reason why you can't pat kittens when they're newly born or other animals is because the mothers can smell your scent on them and they will abandon them. So I feel like it's a similar concept. I don't think so. I think it's just... It's just so convenient. Okay, and that's fair. It did, Yeah, but it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But anyways. So yeah, as a result of Percy finding the lightning bolt and returning it to its rightful place, the gods decide to gift him with something. And in this case, the something is letting Sally out of the underworld and give Percy the choice of going back to her at the end of summer or stay at camp year round. Percy gives Sally Medusa's head, which was returned to Percy by Poseidon, and tells her to use it on Gabe if he gives her any more trouble, and she definitely does use it on Gabe. 
So while trying to make the decision, should I stay or should I go? That was a Stranger Kids reference, by the way. Percy asks Annabeth why she doesn't leave. And she says that she tried to leave before, but her parents couldn't deal with her. And Percy empowers her to try again because family is important. So he finds Luke and tries to confide how he's been feeling after the quest and asks him about all those questions that have been left unresolved, like who betrayed him and who is working with Cronus. And Luke reveals himself as the lightning thief. Surprise, surprise. His goal was to put the god in their place after they go around ignoring and playing with their children. Percy and Luke start fighting, then Annabeth intervenes. So Luke offers her to join and she fools him into thinking she will join, but takes the opportunity to disarm him instead. So as a result, Luke fatally wounds Percy just before running away, but luckily Percy gets ambrosia, which helps to heal him. Mr. Brunner warns the campers that they are on the brink of war with Cronus and the campers decide to fix things themselves by going into the real world and fixing it from within. And this is how we end the musical. All right. Is this also how the book ends, like the first book? Not exactly. (laughs) So the way the very final song, the sentiment is very different. There is the understanding of a war or something unresolved coming because Luke is out there and everybody knows that he's been trying to recruit people to join his army and to get Cronus to live again. But the whole nonsense, sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to reveal that uh, straight away, but the whole idea of going into the real world and fixing it from within, whatever that means, that is not really something that is said in the book. But he does choose to go back to the real world and to the real world. He just he does choose to go back to his mom and Annabeth goes to her dad to see how things are going. But uh, actually, it doesn't work very well with her dad in the end. So, yeah. Okay. okay. In this in this particular point, they do patch things up later, but not in the second book. Okay. The reason why I'm asking is just because I felt it was a little bit random how it was wrapped up so I just wanted to see if it's yeah okay I agree I think also because in the book you have the knowledge that this is a series and it's going to be ongoing it's a lot less jarring and the way they wrapped it up is less out of nowhere because I felt like this is very out of nowhere and disconnected from everything else sure we're talking about the end it didn't feel like that at all Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a standalone musical, at least for now. Yeah, I don't think they they wrapped it as nicely as a standalone musical, or even as a something that will have a sequel as well as the book did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the story, I'm mostly okay, like knowing that the whole story is targeted towards a younger audience. So mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't be the target audience here. So a lot of the times, like the jokes or the humor, seems like it's kind of like talking down to to the audience or it was rather childish um Mm. but I was mostly okay I was just like haha okay right (laughs) this is for kids or this is for teenagers I guess and I'm way older now so it just doesn't really fit it's not quite my cup of tea but overall I feel like the story is okay it's pretty predictable but um but very typical out of curiosity, even, at what point what? did you realize that Luke was the thief? I know that the, the moment he appeared. <laughs> That's a record. 
No, because like it's just so obvious. It has to be somebody who you never doubt. And this is I watch a lot of crime series too, right?、Mm-hmm. Like a lot of、um, crime documentaries or just real life crime related stuff. So I feel like I'm pretty not excellent, but I feel like I have quite a bit of experience in terms of predicting the plot twist. So this is like level. Zero point five, probably. <laughs> like it's very predictable to me,、um, but yeah, I would say that even though it's predictable, but it's very typical. It's very、mm. traditional. It's just how it's always been, kind of. <laughs>、um, oh, funny story. Actually,、oh. I had the same doubt. So when I was watching the Harry Potter fourth movie, I always thought Cedric was a bad guy too. I'm like, oh, he has to be a bad guy, and then he died, and I was like, okay, never mind, he's not the bad guy. <laughs> Maybe he was faking his death. You never know. That was my question too, but I think he was pretty dead, like、yeah. dead, dead. <laughs> <was> so... dead. <laughs> You're like, he's、so、too good. He's too good. nice. Something、yeah. is cooking. Um, this just something、right. doesn't add up. Like, yeah, but okay. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, but over, it's just. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overall, it's a pretty typical young adult story. I feel like it gives me a lot of Harry Potter feeling too. Like especially the trio, like、yeah. Annabeth reminds me so much of Hermione. They are actually very different. I understand what you mean, by the way, because trio in general or groups of five even are a staple of fantasy genre in general because it's a very solid, convenient group dynamic and setup. To、mm-hmm. it's the simplest group dynamic to work with, so it makes sense to have something like that. And the core would be like a hero, a heart, and a smart guy. I feel like it's something you would see constantly in fantasy novels, and you can have like bigger and bigger groups.、That's That is kind of like a staple of genre, but I do want to say that Annabeth is different from how she is in the book. There are a lot of similarities, and I think they capture her a lot better than the movies, from what I've seen, from the clips I've seen. I haven't seen it all the way through, but I've seen a lot of clips. Yeah, yeah, I I do want to say she's a lot more cheeky than Hermione. Like Hermione is a lot by the books, and、mm-hmm. Annabeth is very. Street smart, like she has great instincts and she can think on her feet. And Hermione kind of freezes up upon pressure. Okay, I guess yeah, it wasn't. They didn't really have that opportunity to show the different side of them, so it just from the service of it,、mm, it just seems like、yeah. they're the convenient wisdom, the brain, and the trio. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I, I I completely agree. I also completely agree with the what you said about it feeling very childlike. I think I have childish taste and sensibilities personally. I like a lot of kids media, and I think a lot of kids media is well done, like the Percy Jackson books, which are oriented towards、uh, younger audiences and kids. I think are very well done and hold up by adult standards. But this, I don't think, held up as an adult and. It's kind of sad because I'm an adult who thoroughly enjoys the source material, and even though there are a lot of aspects of this musical I did enjoy, I wouldn't necessarily say it exceeded all my expectations and hopes and dreams.、Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Okay, why don't we go in song by song then? All right. So we open with the prologue slash the day I got expelled. 
it's one of the better ones okay um but I don't really have much to say about this musically like you know how I feel about the messy songs like it conveys a lot of information here so you have to pay really close attention to what's going on or otherwise I completely didn't understand so the first time I watched this I was kind of like have it playing but I was on my other stuff while I was playing it so I didn't focus 100% and by the time it moves to a second zone and I was like what the heck happened I thought at (laughs) one point they were talking about like finding a monster or something and then here he is Percy like just talking with his mom about like not fitting in and stuff and I'm like what happens I had to rewind and realize that they were trying to tell a story from the end so it was like Percy reflecting on what happened and yeah that makes so much more sense now (laughs) (laughs) um and I do like how it opens up with telling you what happened and then it shows you how they got to where they are so yeah I feel like that's really my style of opening up a musical so I like that but music itself it's okay it it, yeah it goes on for way too long it's like maybe a seven to eight minutes um scene and yeah and introduces a lot a lot of characters too so I feel like in that regard like introducing us to the world of Percy Jackson is a little bit information heavy and um and a little bit messy but I understand why because they do want to get you up to speed because things move pretty fast in the first maybe two or three songs so I can't understand that Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with you I do think it's fast-paced and it can be a little bit messy I like mess so it works for me but I understand why it doesn't work for you especially since it's also a mashup of two songs I can see how it can be a little bit disorienting especially if you're not familiar with the source material Personally, I really like that we don't open with Percy, actually. He gets like a dramatic reveal later. He swoops in and goes to his knees. So I thought it was really cute. And by not starting with Percy and starting with a chorus instead, it kind of gives me more of a storytelling feeling. So actual dramatic retelling like ancient Greece. The fact that it also ends with a chorus, I think, was very cohesive. So I like that structure. In terms of the things that happen there. Percy's first line is Loki didn't want to be a half-blood, which is the opening line in the book too. So I thought it was really cute. Throughout the entire thing, I felt like the people who made this musical definitely read the source material thoroughly and they do love it a lot. Um, So it kind of pains me to say I didn't connect with it in every single way because you do have to make a lot of changes to something that is shorter, especially since the first running of this, it was kind of like experimental. It was an hour long and then they made it about an hour and 45 minutes or almost two hours. So Mm -hmm. I do get that with that kind of condensed time, you will have to change a lot of things. And that just because they made changes doesn't mean that they don't love and appreciate the book. And I definitely got the love. I like that aspect. And I also really like Mr. Brunner's voice. You know how I like deep voices. Amazing. Love that. (laughs) I don't necessarily love all the characters he played, but I do like him as Mr. Brunner, though they changed his characterization kind of dramatically. He's very comic relief, especially with the campfire song with Remember My Lesson, He Ate His Children. Yeah, so I feel like he gets a lot more comic relief than he is in the book where he's more of a mentor and guide and very wise. But I, I wasn't averse to the change. 
And then when we get to like the Mrs. Dodd section, I found really hilarious because it's also a very different interaction in the book. Like, why would she even go on about his parentage and say, you don't know who your father is? I feel like it pretty much screams exposition for exposition's sake rather than organically weaving it into the story. It's like, oh, what about your father? Oh, I forgot. You don't even know who he is. It's like, why would he say that? Why would you just ask him, what about your father? And he's like, oh, I don't know who my father is. I think that's already more natural. And the way she does it, just like, oh, I'm taunting you just to be mean. You know how Draco, like in a very Potter musical, is like, I'm a racist. <laughs> and my father worked for the person who killed your parents. Do you want to be my friend? Considering they didn't start with a lot of budget for this, I find the costuming thrifty and uh, resourceful. Did you like the costuming or uh, the set design? Yeah, I feel like it looks rather cheap yeah I feel like it's a very low budgeted musical I like from the look of it I wouldn't guess that it's a Broadway musical to be honest mm-hmm. I would probably guess it's better than a very Potter musical I'll give you that but <laughs> that's zero it, budget there so. <laughs> zero budget literally mm-hmm. you have to bring your own snack all right but <laughs> but I would assume it's somewhere along that sort of budget level you know like a maybe a community center production or something so did you notice Mr. Brunner's tail when um they find out he's Chiron I um, was thinking about <laughs> <laughs> we were thinking about the same thing so he like I like the way that a Harry Potter sequel handled the centaur yeah absolutely I mean it's very close to this um, they're not that far off from a Broadway quality, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I agree, if this is a Broadway one. But uh, that's interesting when you bring it up, because the pre-Broadway review for the Lightning Thief musical were very, very, very positive. And the Broadway review were very, very angry about this being there in the first place. They're like, what is this? This is a disgrace. This is horrible, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they were really snubbed in the Tonys, like um, the person who plays Percy, he didn't even get nominated for Best Actor role when there was only one other person nominated. So they completely snubbed them. The transition from pre-Broadway to Broadway wasn't kind to them. Uh, yeah, think- I feel like mm-hmm. if they need to um, put this on Broadway, they definitely need it to level up. I don't know. I feel like people just have different expectation when they go see a show in Broadway, especially when you pay a very expensive ticket. I do like I would naturally expect that it would be higher budget than what I saw here. So I can understand where that gap between the different critiques uh reviews comes from mm-hmm. but okay the what do you, when what i do went you to think? watch it wasn't very expensive <laughs> i gotta say that oh, i think really? it was under 50 canadian okay, okay um so u.s listeners make the conversion for yourself but i think tickets in canada are cheaper anyway hmm. um i do agree with you i think for a broadway show depending on the budget they got of course they could have made things a little bit neater in terms of presentation. Not that there is no charm for something that is a bit lower scale and a bit more um, thrifty with the set design and the costuming and stuff like that. But a lot of people who go to Broadway want to see a spectacle. 
and want to see something really impressive like say what you want about diana and how horrible <laughs> the songs are and so forth like the songs here i think are very strong but in diana they weren't but the costuming for diana oh, incredible yeah incredible absolutely incredible they had like easily over 20 costume i think for her alone yeah i remember the aqua and closer she changed like maybe three times yeah she did in one song That's exactly insane. exactly and all the garments were beautiful like exactly tailored exactly look like the reference for the real world diana stuff amazing to look at so mm-hmm. i feel like when they go to Broadway, this is kind of set design, costuming, all around non-like story song stuff related. Like that's what they expect. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I understand it's hard to, you know, bring out the monsters or like the magic or the superpowers and that sort of thing on stage. But then look at what Frozen did. There's a lot of effects that you could do. Yep. Or at least try not to have like a puppet as a monster. That will mm-hmm. be the first. Yeah. So, yeah, if I see this on in New York on Broadway and I have to pay like, I don't know, a hundred bucks, I would certainly be disappointed. Comparing it to a very, a very Potter musical, people are a lot more forgiving when it's a smaller budget theater Definitely. community kind of thing. And they certainly have different expectation when they get to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to level up. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> There's no excuse. Okay, so I guess we'll go into the next song, which is Strong. Speaking of leveling up, some of the line writing here could be workshopped, I think. Like something whenever I listen to the cast recording that always pops up and make me cringe so bad is the line, why be blow when there is aquamarine? I love the movie Aquamarine, by the way. Watch it if you want to. Have you watched it, Claire? No. It's so nice. I feel like you would hate it, though. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for recommending. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can surprise me. But uh, I used to love this movie. But yeah, this line, I listen to it the entire week whenever I listen to the cross recording. And I don't skip anything when I prepare for the episode. I could feel it coming. I remember the lyrics. It's coming. It's coming. Here it comes. Here it comes. No. Okay, we passed it. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but apart from that I was really impressed with Sally's actress and acting like all the cast I thought was very very strong and kind of incredible because they have to juggle a lot of roles there aren't that many cast members and except for maybe Percy and maybe Annabeth every single cast member has more than one role and they do a very good job of Uh, transforming themselves between the characters for the most part and to adjust their singing style and adjust their personality so I was very impressed with that and particularly the actress who plays Sally she has like a million and one roles she had like Sally she has Selena I don't know how you pronounce it Uh, only read it (laughs) she has Karen and so many other characters so I was happy that she was able to make work so well and strong and I do prefer the other solo that she has which is DOA but her acting in in this one in particular really stood out to me yeah I also really really enjoy her I feel like she's probably my favorite person actress here because I really do enjoy her, um, Sally Jackson. I feel like she did a really, really good job. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they're able to play so many different characters is impressive. But then her interpretation of this one, like the mom, especially stood up for me. I do enjoy the song too. 
but I didn't understand where the blue food reference was coming from. It's and from the that, book. yeah, yeah, I feel very excluded oh, <laughs> in oh, terms no. of this because the first time I listened to this, I was like, what's so wrong about blue food? Like, there's blueberries. So, the blue food thing came from Gabe, actually. Gabe is a lot more abusive in the books than he is in here. Like, it's very strongly suggested he was physically abusive towards Sally, and he was definitely verbally abusive at the very least towards Percy. He was constantly putting both of them down, and one day he and Sally and Percy had an argument about food coloring, and he says that there is no such thing as blue food ever. And after that, Sally, who works at a candy store, she uh, supports them. Uh, and she never got to have the education because she had Percy so young. And actually, her parents died when she was young, too. Um, she works at a candy store and she makes it a point to give Percy a big bag full of only blue sweets just to um, prove Gabe wrong and Aww. have their little rebellion against him because they can't be outwardly rewardly rebellious towards him. So it's kind of like a little victory for them. Okay. Oh, that is sweet. Yes. Okay. So see, I think this musical is full of those little things that only a fan of the books will understand and it's just not too friendly to people like me oh. and which I I can't understand I feel like if I'm a fan I'll enjoy this like tremendously but for people who are a stranger to the series it's just very not very confusing like <laughs> you don't stop following what's happening but you just don't get it and uh and I think it takes away the fun because at times I'll be questioning myself well I'll be asking myself like what's what's so funny about this or like why is this even relevant and um and thank goodness that you explain it to me but if you just don't know I feel like it will take away some of the fun Mm -hmm. in terms of strong I suppose do you enjoy the song by itself sure yeah I think it's one of the better the more memorable ones I think I'm a big like a mom song person yeah so I do enjoy that <laughs> your favorite from the Irvin Hansen was the mom song right I think so yeah I can't remember now actually <laughs> I think like waving the window thingy that song was also really good yeah but I think the mom song was also very very good yeah the next one is another terrible day I enjoy it, especially the part where Percy just screaming and all confused in the background. I think <laughs> that part was hilarious because he just had no clue what's going on. Uh, in terms of the song itself, I feel the, the vocal is a little bit too harsh. Mm. I know that the character is supposed to be that way, so I don't have a problem like watching it. But I guess as a stand out standalone song I probably wouldn't go back to listen to it even though the whole song is actually quite fun and I guess relatable to a lot of people (laughs) but yeah but the vocal is a little bit too harsh for me it feels like he's just this like raging voice a lot and I personally am not a big fan of that sort of interpretation so I didn't really enjoy that all that much but I feel like, to be honest, a lot of the music or songs from this musicals are quite mediocre to me. Mm-hmm. So they're not bad, but it's just so easily forgettable. And I feel like 
it has a kind of like an edgy rock vibe to it. Well, I didn't really get that feeling because it was so targeted towards teenagers. So it, I don't know. It's just a thought. <laughs> But what do you think? <laughs> um, I think this is like the first song that I thought was more mediocre or enjoyed less because I mm-hmm. did actually yeah. thoroughly enjoy the day I got expelled prologue and I liked Strong pretty well too. But with this one, something was missing for me. A few positive though. I'm really glad they kept you drool when you sleep line because that's something that is very... I don't know. It's not very important in the book necessarily, but in the fandom, it's something that people always constantly talk about because Percy and Annabeth become a couple later on, which is probably a little bit predictable. And um, this is like a big moment for everybody. So it's an iconic line. And um, it's also nice that they kept Mr. D's constant uh, misremembering of the camper's name. So like Peter Johnson or whatever, um, instead of Percy Jackson. But I think they only kept it for Percy specifically. I think when he was reading the list of the campers, he was reading their name correctly, which in the book he wouldn't. I like that part. Some things that I didn't necessarily like, I feel like in the initial intera- interaction, they made Annabeth a lot less antagonistic than she was in the beginning of the first book. Like, I didn't get the kind of intensity or judgment and dislike of Percy up until the heart-to-heart they had later on about their parents when their interactions were presented here. I don't know if you got strange animosity from her up until the heart-to-heart or not, but in the book... they had a little bit more of a strenuous relationship going on. So I feel like it's a little bit weird that they made her less antagonistic, but again, they don't have time. I'm sure it's a timing issue. Another thing is when he was introducing the other campers, I don't stand for Charles Beckendorf slander. So in the books, he was a really great guy who absolutely loved Selena in the books. So he was like, he was like the Cedric Diggory. Um, Charles Beckendorf and they kind of slander him a little bit so I didn't like that all that much mm-hmm. but my guess is they just wanted people to know that they've read the books and they know he's an important character later on and so on more importantly I wasn't a fan of the performance of the song and in general I'm not a huge fan of the song itself to begin with but this was a little bit too campy and over the top even for me and I'm a huge love of camp Again, it just seems like I'm not the main demographic here because the performance screamed to me like, oh, let's entertain the children and children only. And I do like the actor's performance as Grover. And in general, the actor is really, really good. I think I'll talk about it later on when we get to A Tree on a Hill. But I just dislike him as Mr. D because it just he's doing the most here. He's emoting. He's going all over the place. And Mr. D is kind of like a grumpy little um, Danny DeVito, at least the way I imagine him. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really work for me. I don't know if it was too yeah. much for you. Yeah, I can totally relate. Okay, <laughs> all right. Great. How about put you in your place? Uh, it's better in terms of. When you're comparing it with, I guess, their sign. And I will say when I was watching like the performance, the vocal is actually quite impressive. Mm-hmm. And I like how the lyrics are 
pretty clever like she uses a lot of water related references yeah. like you're gonna drown you're gonna miss the boat that sort of thing so I was like huh okay did you already re- read a script or something <laughs> like did you already know something in advance but okay um, so I thought that was pretty clever how they tried to foreshadow um, Percy's origin a little bit here but other than that like I don't really have much to say the song like the fighting scene seems very childish to me like the props that they're using or the the stage design um where the competition or the game or whatever this is is taking place seems really poorly designed to me Mm -hmm. it's just not much going on so visually not too impressive but vocally I think she did a pretty good job I agree with you. I was really impressed with her. And she's one of the other actors who constantly change who they are throughout the story. I believe she was also the one who played Mrs. Dodds and she had like this thick Southern accent and it really shows her range. So I like that. In terms of the stuff that I think could be improved on, I think it's another issue with the exposition and just workshopping a little bit, just having a little uh, one or two run through to see what can be tweaked and improved would fix it but in this particular portion imagine how annoying it is to be like told stuff about yourself that you knew so annabeth says satyrs are creatures of pan god of the wild to grover like yeah i hope that he does know who he is and (laughs) where he comes from like if i told you like claire you wear glasses your eyesight is poor sorry (laughs) to pick up your glasses (laughs) you'll be like so offended Yeah, I didn't like that part. But I think her song specifically is nice. Her interaction with Annabeth is really good. Like they sing to each other. It does feel like they are at war with. And I do like the fact that uh, Clarice is a child of Aries and Annabeth is a child of Athena. And both of these, uh, their parents are war gods. And you see how they approach things differently and the differences between them. So Clarice's dad is more of like brute force Aries and um, Athena is more tactics. And you see tactics is the thing that wins you the war. And Athena, I think, was more highly regarded as a goddess compared to Aries in general, like in Greece. So mm-hmm. I really like that they have the juxtaposition between them. Like they'll have the juxtaposition between Luke and Percy later on. So I thought it was really cute. And I thought that the fact that they'll use it later on, like they lay the song right now and they'll use it later on when Uri, um, Ares fights against Percy. I thought it was really, really clever. So I enjoyed the song pretty well. It wasn't mm-hmm. very consequential to anything, but I think it was a fun moment. Mm-hmm. so next is the campfire song what do you think yeah campfire I think music wise um it's okay mm. I like how it takes a a chance to introduce like different gods and what they do give us a lot of like humanizing moment even though Greek gods are already very human-like <laughs> um but you get to hear a little bit more about what other gods or what other half gods life has been um so it's a nice introduction moment I guess but in terms of the melody it gets very repetitive mm-hmm. after a while so the first uh, verse was okay the second verse I go okay <laughs> and the third verse is still sound the same <laughs> so I got really bored after that so I think melody wise is definitely a little bit boring um and I grew 
tired of it that like after a couple of lesson yeah yeah in terms of narrative value I don't actually see a whole lot of values of having the song here because it doesn't really tell us anything new like it's nice to you know know what other gods or their children has been going through or um dealing with but then I guess it's maybe because I already come into this with some knowledge of what each gods are responsible of and what their personality is kind of like so it doesn't tell me anything new mm-hmm. in a sense mm-hmm. so um I think it's an okay moment I don't mind it but I would much prefer if they just cut it Yeah, I see what you mean. I can definitely agree with you in terms of the music part. So the music is very repetitive. It feels very simple too. And maybe that was the point, you know, campfire songs are not very complicated. Did you have like large campfire as a group before? Nope. Okay. Um, There is a holiday revolving around campfire in Israel. So it's very common to have them. Okay. So yeah, in Taiwan, if you want to have a campfire, you're going to set the whole city on fire too. So only in Taipei or the entirety of Taiwan? Oh, I have never really lived outside Taipei. So not even for a trip? Uh, Like maybe one night or two, but never too long. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Sorry, you're saying? (laughs) No, 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 I'm interested actually. So like if you had a school trip, would you ever have an overnight school trip? We had maybe one. Or maybe two. And did you um, go to like you're a in desert school? or a mountain? Like, was it in the wilderness? Oh, let me tell you. Usually <laughs> we just go somewhere like that's like a kind of like a wonderland-ish kind of thing. And we just stay at the nearby city for the night. Or oh. I think there was like a camping-ish trip in the second grade in middle school. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really, really like real camping. Um, We just like set out a tent that is obviously not in the wild and we just sleep in a tent for the night and that was it. oh that's cute yeah. though <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. i'm very much of a city person when i grew up yeah i would have never guessed based on your personality <laughs> <laughs> okay but it's surprising that when you like came here you came to vancouver and there is a lot of wilderness there so i would assume maybe a campfire would be nice a cabin in the woods so to speak but I guess not. Yeah, it never happened. I don't know why. Uh, Okay. New goals for you. New goals, new goals. So yeah, so campfire songs anyway (laughs) are very simple. There's something that the entire group can sing. So maybe if I try to rationalize it, there is a reason why the song is so simple. But as an audience member and somebody who's consuming the media, it's not very fun to listen to. So 100% I agree with that. In terms of the narrative portion, maybe I can help you a little bit see why this might be important. So what I like is that Luke is the one to start off the campfire song. So I think that really foreshadows that he is the one to betray them later on. He's also like sussing the vibe of Percy and the other campers. And there's also like a deleted song where the campers say if they will fight their parents at a war or not. So I think like this is a clever way for Luke to like see what's going on and who could be an ally and who is a potential threat. And maybe he understands that Percy might not be 
a very good and strong ally and neither is Grover because they don't have that much animosity like the other campers. So that's one portion of it. Another portion is maybe he is also trying to sow seeds in Percy's head that the gods are not very great as people because he gets to hear all the experiences of the, of the campers who are dissatisfied with their parents. So that's another angle of it. But uh, apart from the narrative portion, I find the campers kind of annoying here because they're really boiled down to stereotypes about their godly parents, like child yes. of the meters. And yeah, exactly. So like I find that they take all the humanity they have from them, especially with Selena, who is so important in the book um, or relatively important in the book. And she's so much more than just a daughter of Aphrodite who cares about her dates. Like she's in a relationship with um, Charlie Beckendorf. She is much more complex as a person. So boiling her down to like her mom stealing her dates and her mascara, I didn't like that. So I wish they didn't do it I understand again it's a timing issue especially when you start off with an hour-long musical and then you only have so much time to pad it you have to cut down essential or non-essential elements to the plot and the campers are less essential you want to show that there is a camp and it's lively and there are people there but you don't need to know too too much about them but as a person who a watches this medium and likes to be able to um, sympathize with characters and feel connected to them. That's an issue. And as somebody who knows how much more fleshed out they are in the books, that's another issue. But a good point about it, I really like that Percy's song about his mom is about his mom rather than his godly parent when they get to him. And that his entire segment is a huge I love my mom so much verse. And when he switched to switches to talking about his godly parent it's so jarring so like when he talks about his mom he's really soft and it's very longing and then he has so much cheek when he talks about his dad and he's like yeah stick it to the man I think that was <laughs> what they said in school of rock so I did like that and I think that would be a good clue to show pair uh, to show Luke how different Percy is from him and why he might not be good ally. all right let's go to good kid what do you think which one is good kid <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! Oh, okay, that's okay, not okay. good. <laughs> I remember now. I remember now. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would probably just want to cut that out. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, the song is better. I like how it gives Percy like a solo moment yes. to reflect on who he is and what he's been dealing with because. One critique that I had, I guess, up until this point was that he never really had a chance to think about what's happening. Like, you get to hear him screaming in the background of, like, another terrible day or something, but then it just seems like he just so easily accept whatever happened, and he never really wants, like, question be like, who he is, why he's here, does he want to be here, that kind of thing. So I like that they give them a little bit of personality and time to let the audience know and understand Percy's person a little bit here. So I like that. Music-wise is also one of the better ones. I think you can really feel for him. I feel like the actor did a pretty good job of um, singing out and expressing the depression or like the anxiety or whatever. So it was pretty good in that sense. Yeah, Good Kid is my favorite. Oh, and I think, okay. Yeah, I think it mainly is because of my connection to the book, but not necessarily. I think overall, it's 
one of the strongest songs here. I don't know if you agree, but I think it's definitely stronger than the majority of the other songs at the very least. But for me, it also showcases Percy's inner monologue very well. And it's very faithful to the book in the way that it does so. It builds on his character. It shows his inner anguish a lot. I really sympathize with who he is in here and who he's, how he's acting. The fact that his driving motive is his mom the only reason why he's going is because of her, I think is very, very endearing to who he is. Like even if there are aspects of his personality that he can't really relate to, like all the cheek and impertinence that he has, or maybe the indecisiveness in him, the fact that he loves his mom so much and he cares and all he wants is to be a good person screams a lot about his character. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's something that will come up later on with the contrast to Luke. But he as a person never wanted to harm anybody whenever he does harm anybody even indirectly he feels really really bad about it you can see that he is good even if he's not perfect and I think as a message alone this is something that is really really important for kids to see like you can fail in a lot of things it can be bad at school or you can have a bad reputation but what matters a lot of the time is your intention and the fact that you're willing to learn and you're willing to evolve and do things to show who you are on the inside, on the outside. And I think this is a great song for a lot of kids to sympathize with. Okay, okay. I can see why now. Actually, from now on, there is a sweet spot of songs that I really enjoyed. So um, the next song is Killer Quest. I personally also really like that. I think all the moments of the three main characters interacting together work well because they have good interactions and play amongst each other. Like the clear roles and how they have the back and forth is well-defined. And I think that is the saving grace of the musical for me at the very least. It's not about the camp that much or about the quest in here it's definitely about the relationship of the characters to each other and this is the first time you get to see them interacting with each other alone without anything else in the background really when I think there's a lot of sass there's a lot of acting from everybody and there's a lot of butting head which I like and you get to see how antagonistic they are towards each other in the beginning and how they solve it little by little and how they get to rely on each other so it tells a really nice story on all on its own with the song itself I was really sad that Annabeth didn't hit the high note in the record uh, performance because in the recording when she sings killer quest she has this amazing beautiful high notes which i'm sure is taxing to sing eight times per week and that's probably why she didn't do it but it she sings it over the other two and it harmonizes so well with their lines i really like it okay how do you like this as a at one closer um i think it's pretty good especially when you consider the next song, which is Lost, which they have them in a very similar situation. I think it is very high energy, which is nice. It makes sense to start the second act and end this one with them going on the quest and just showing us how it starts. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think narratively it makes sense it's not the highest energy act one closer that we've seen but I think it definitely works considering the production itself and considering the narration what do you think I think it's okay like it's a pretty reasonable act one closer in my opinion but music wise it's very very mediocre mm-hmm. it, I didn't really think it's all that impressive um yeah I agree at one closer doesn't need to be like a high energy one all the time but this one kind of like gives me a sort of like stick in the 
stick in between like high energy and low energy sort mm-hmm. of so I'm not really sure what to think of it um yeah and in terms of the narrative like it's just very convenient like obviously they're going to be a trio obviously they're going to be on the quest together like and obviously it's going to be these two people who are, like accompany him so nothing really new or surprising happening um, you never suspected Luke will join no okay because I knew that he was going to be the bad guy right that's true, but he could sabotage them from within the quest. Like, instead of having Ares bring them the bolt, it could have been Luke. Oh. Yeah, I didn't think of that, actually. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> the point is, you didn't you didn't think you would join. <laughs> yeah, no, I, like, I already kind of assumed that it's going to be a trio, so mm-hmm. there's no place for Luke. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, you're out. But actually, that's a great idea. I feel like Luke deserves a little bit more time to explain like his motivation or even just to show his personality a little bit more because the whole reveal like the big plot twist that he's the bad person the Mm -hmm. end feels really rushed like it feels like they're wrapping up already and then boom happened what is supposed to be the climax in in my (laughs) opinion got like got they like kind of rushes through in maybe 10 minutes or Mm -hmm. something and that was it and it was just so random too. Just like, what happened? They got talking and then Percy was like, oh, it's you. And then they just started fighting and Percy was like wounded. And they're like, oh, he has to be taking, I can't remember what. And that's the only thing that can heal him. And then they just started seeing the finale. So I was really confused. And mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't really understand where um, everything is coming from. To be honest though, uh, looking at it objectively, I could totally see why Luke is the bad guy or like why he decides to take on the other side. But I just hope that it was they give him a little bit more time and respect to talk about that properly. I don't know if it's the same in the book, like maybe they talk more about Luke or like he has a little bit more um, opportunity to showcase his personality or whatnot but mm-hmm. it just it feels very random very rushed here anyways back to the song so the song itself is not something that's too spectacular I don't think um but I do agree I think when the three of them sing together it actually sounds like quite nice mm-hmm. so as a song itself it's okay I don't mind it I don't hate it I don't think it's too bad but it just it is not the best song out there either all right, so the Act 2 opener, Lost. It's okay. I actually didn't really <laughs> like it. Oh. Um, Music-wise, I hate it a lot. <laughs> the thing is just not a really great song musically. Um, I like how it starts with like something happened on the trip. Like Instead of showing us what actually happened, they just start by, okay, that happened, and now what? Sort of situation, so we don't have to watch the whole thing but mm-hmm. uh music wise is it, it actually is very irritating to oh. me yeah but it's okay it's okay okay that's good I actually really like this song personally oh um, sorry it's on my favorite so don't worry I think okay. we had this before it wasn't Mean Girls or something where I said like sexy was my my favorite and you're like I hate this song yeah I I think this one is really good a because it's really good continuation from Killer Quest you know how in movies they have this jump cut where they go somewhere and it's like oh this will go well and then they have a jump cut of it going horribly wrong mm-hmm. yeah so this gave me that energy for sure 
and it was very entertaining to see. Uh, I also enjoyed the change in genre because I feel like the genre for Lost is quite distinct from the previous one. They do have ones that are a little bit more soulful, like strong, but the majority of them are more high energy rock popish type of thing. And this one felt very original musical, like older types of musical. So I did enjoy that. Again, referring to the book, they talk to a pink poodle rather than a talking squirrel so in the book they're encountered by a pink poodle that is lost and there is money that they can get if they return him to the owner so the poodle agreed to let them return him uh, to help them out on the quest even though he wanted to leave and in here they decide to change to a talking squirrel and first of all I don't understand why they did that and second of all this 100% remind me of the emperor's new groove I don't know if you've seen it no okay you would really enjoy it because it's Disney I feel like this one I can confidently say you would enjoy because okay both like animated stuff And another thing that is more character driven, it's very unusual for Annabeth and Grover to be like, oh, whatever you decide, you're the leader here. There are more an equal footing in the book, like all the characters. And I found very out of character for all of them to be like, Percy, what would you do? You're the leader of the quest. Uh, But it was very small and it's a little bit nitpicky, but knowing the characters in the book, it seems like not something like they would do but apart from that musical I really enjoyed Lost and I thought that it was very fun interaction between all the characters again all right next one is My Grand Plan it's one of the better ones I think I appreciate like Annabeth has a solo so we get to learn a little bit more about her Mm -hmm. um and she talks about like how she's always been like the smartest and toughest person around but then she's never really the hero and that is interesting to me because it's a very self-critical song that sort of points out the issue with characters like her which I'm just gonna call her the Hermione type because they're very capable they're very smart oftentimes like the main character wouldn't be able to accomplish most of the stuff that I did without them, but they're still not the main hero compared to the Percy, I guess, in this case. So I found that interesting. And I I don't know if she has a bigger role in the book and I wish that she had. Um, but in the musical, I also wish that she has a much bigger role than just what she was given. So I really appreciate the solos that she gets here um because I do feel like I get to understand her a little bit better but is that the case in the book like is she much talk about like does she has more interesting personality yeah so she and Percy and Grover are a trio throughout all the books all the books in the Percy Jackson series there are five of them and then in the next sequel series which is Heroes of Olympus There are seven characters in total and all of them get a point of view or all of them get to talk from a first person perspective. And she definitely does get to talk from a first person person's perspective. And she also gets a quest of her own. So she definitely does get to play the main character role later on. But in the Percy Jackson series, all the series revolves around or is from Percy's perspective. And she is probably the most 
important character after Percy mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe Grover because they're a trio but I feel like she's probably more important than Grover low-key okay okay that's good personally I also really enjoyed My Grand Plan I think it was a really good song for Annabeth it captured her essence very well I wasn't a huge fan of some of the lyrics here yet again something that can be workshopped but they got to convey who she is as a character very well like she doesn't show away from things she's very ambitious she actually has grand plans and she does want to be noticed and she does want to be successful it was appropriate in terms of the grandeur that it gets in the story so like the song itself sounds very grand there are a lot of belting in here and it got to showcase the actress's range well and also emotions, because she gets to go through determination, she gets to go through sadness and reverie. So a lot of the performance aspect of this, I enjoyed tremendously. Narration and narrative-wise, I enjoyed it, but lyrics could definitely use some workshopping. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The next one is Drive. What do you think? I don't have much to say. I'll just say a few quick points. So throughout the song, they kind of like drive from New Jersey where they're supposed to drive to LA but they didn't Um, and throughout the road they experience different monsters and monster attacks and in the books obviously they're a lot more flushed out so I don't mind them glossing over the monsters here and just mentioning them I think it's a cute way to still acknowledge them and have like a wink 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 nudge nudge to the people who read the books so I thought that was a nice callback so they gloss over it and they don't really give it a lot of attention even though in the book they obviously go to the Lotus Hotel and they stay there but the person they talk to that says I've been here since May 1st 1939 which was yesterday that person is most likely Bianca D'Angelo and she and especially her brother Nico D'Angelo come in later books and Nico is probably one of the most popular characters in the entirety of all the series that he's written so I thought it was a really really cute way to show it because I'm sure that if fans saw this or a fan of the book saw this they'll be like oh god it's the d'angelo's um the next one is the tree on the hill okay okay finally this is the song i thought it was um all right well honestly i still don't have too much to say oh okay sorry <laughs> yeah it makes sense that Annabeth gets a solo so he has a solo too so it makes the trio complete. exactly so in that sense that it's like a well-deserved solo i guess but i actually didn't really quite understand what happened oh. here I think he was guarding the three of them back and then which is they were attacked and Talia like stay behind to help them or to buy time and she was killed and Zeus turned her into a tree. So that essentially is it but the longer version of it is Luke, Annabeth and Talia has been run have been runaways for many many years so if you recall later on in the campfire song Annabeth ran away from home when she was seven years old. And as a runaway kid, she would be confronted by a lot of monsters because she's a half-blood herself and they're attracted to your smell if you're a half-blood. So she finds two other runaways. One of them was Luke. And you don't get to see it here, but Luke has a very sad backstory. And I'll go about it later on in the last day of summer. And then Talia also has a very broken down family home and she ran away she ran away too and they've been out 
for longer. So because Talia is a daughter of Zeus, she attracts monster a lot, lot more than let's say Luke or Annabeth because her sense and her strength is a lot more potent. So they've been fighting as a group on their own a lot of the time, which is why they're all so connected. This is why Cronus tells Luke to remember Talia. This is why Annabeth is so connected to Luke in here and why he offers her to join him. Grover has been sent to locate them and bring them safely to camp. And because they, as a group, attract so many monsters, they had to fend for themselves a lot of the time. And literally on the brink of making it to camp, they're attacked by a horde of monsters, like a lot. Considering you have a seven-year-old kid, probably like a 12-year-old or uh, however old Talia was, and um, Luke, who wasn't much older, it's very difficult to be able to um, fight like for your survival. And Talia was only a- the only one able to do that because she is so powerful because she's a daughter of Zeus. So she literally sacrificed herself so everybody else could run away to the camp. And because she was so brave, Zeus took pity on her and turned her into a tree. And the tree has magical powers of being able to guide, to guard the camp, which is why when Percy was running away, his mom told him that he would be safe after crossing the tree. So not even necessarily making it straight to the camp or one of the cabins. So it's a very sad story, actually. Okay, okay. Grover's arc is really connected to it which is why I'm glad that they gave him the solo because I also think that it was called back to later on again in in snippets but definitely feels like he was not able to succeed in some way it's eating him up he also gets to prove himself by saying oh I brought all of you back and you're not even unconscious the fact that he managed to bring Percy there even though he was unconscious in the first place is already a triumph in a way but think about how heartbreaking it is that he had the same scenario so Percy's mom sacrificed herself could get some more time to run to the camp obviously that didn't end up working out because Percy wouldn't want to leave his mom but it must be really really traumatic for Grover to experience the same thing he experienced five years ago another big three kid happening and this person is his really close personal friend so I really appreciated the song when I heard it the first thing I thought Michael in the bathroom For those of you who are not in the know, the person who plays Grover here is George Salazar, and he played Michael in Be More Chill. And Michael in the Bathroom is probably the same type of song as the Triana Hill. It's like a very emotional best friend solo, even though I think I heard Be More Chill after I watched it live. So I didn't get it while I was like watching it in person, but definitely in the cast recording, I was like, oh, that's Michael in the Bathroom. Okay. Um, So yeah. I mean, can't relate, but okay. Yeah, can't relate, I guess. But uh, what do you think of the song itself? Did we get to your favorite? Oh, I think my favorite was going to be Strong, probably. Okay. Son of Poseidon. I feel like we probably should go a little bit more depth into it because it is kind of the climax in a way. But maybe I'll start. I'm personally not a big fan of the song. First of all, how did they come to the conclusion that Percy's dad was a screw-up too? Like, that was the first line here. And I really don't understand how did he come up on the revelation that he's a screw-up. I really don't. All of them are screw-ups in a way. I don't see why he singles at Poseidon. Um, So that's something I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Second of all, I just don't think it's a very strong song to be the climax of the story. Because... Technically, like, this is not the last adventure or life-risking thing Percy is going to do in the story, but it is, like, 
fighting a god? What can be more climax of the story than that? And retrieving the lightning bolt and fixing everything. So I consider it a climax. But as I mentioned before, I do like that Ares's verse is the same melody and also very similar lyrics to Clarissa's to show that familial connection. And also clap back to the toilet paper. If you recall, when he explodes the toilet, the water that shoots out is like toilet paper rather than water because obviously they don't want to make the stage wet. And in here he has like two drills so like a huge tsunami sort of a thing that shoots toilet paper and that's supposed to be the water. So it's kind of like, oh, Clarice, but bigger. So I thought it was really cute. But when the water toilet paper thing was happening, all I could picture personally was the early pandemic craze for hoarding them. And I was like, wow, think of the waste. People would have probably paid like a gazillion dollars in the early to mid 2020. And you're just here wasting the toilet paper. In a way, I appreciate it because I like the part where his mom reminding of who he is. Because it to, to me, it feels like he was going to give up. Like he was going to betray the like his, his friends and to trade um, the lightning bolt for his mom. And it gives me a pretty good feeling like, oh, yeah, it's his mom who made the difference. But then a part that really bothers me is like, why he, why, like, when did he feel so proud about being Poseidon's son? Like, Poseidon did almost nothing. And it's his mom who, like, reminded of who he really is. So giving all that credit to Poseidon, like, was a little bit questionable to me. Mm -hmm. And, um... I didn't really feel like he feel too much about his identity as Poseidon's son up until this point. And I guess like there's a line to be like, oh, it's better late, late than never or something like that. So at least that like, it touches upon that a little bit. But overall, I don't know. It just feels like he has a much stronger relationship with his mom than with Poseidon. So by calling the song Son of Poseidon, it didn't really give me the the chills that I was looking for. Mm. Um, it didn't really convince me that it was like a big moment for him because I wasn't convinced that he actually felt any connection with Poseidon. So that was my problem with the, with the song. But yeah. overall, it's okay. Okay, the next one is The Last Day of Summer. I felt like the music was just okay. It was a, actually a very boring song to me. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't really... Like I said, I feel like the whole big reveal of, oh my God, Luke is the bad guy just came so randomly in this one. So it's just hard to feel, like how to relate, how to be in the, the show. Um, yeah, it's more like, okay, I knew it. <laughs> now what? Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. But what do you think? Uh, musically, I actually really like the song. I feel like the beginning is very serene and sweet. And it does feel like an end of summer feel to it with how low key it is, especially having the song like Son of Poseidon coming right before there's so high energy. I think having the time to simmer with your thoughts and feeling a little bit is really important. So I do like that it's not as high energy as everything before. I think the music portion continues to improve later on and also the narrative portion. So when we figure out Luke is the thief, 
I'll figure it out as if it wasn't obvious. But when we when the musical acknowledges Luke is the thief, the parallel they create between him and Percy is very well done. So Luke sings a verse from Good Kid and it explains pretty much everything about the differences in their character and why Percy would never betray the gods or act like Luke does. Because for Luke, being spiteful and not caring about hurting anyone in order to achieve his goal is kind of his defining characteristic. He would hurt a person who he calls a friend and he would hurt Annabeth and he would hurt anybody else because what he wants is to put the gods in their place. But Percy being deeply disturbed whenever he does hurt anyone and never goes with the intention of being hurtful even to achieve his goals like he understood that he shouldn't betray all the Olympians or his mom, even though he wanted that and decided to get out of there. I feel like that is a huge difference between them. And that's why it works really well. The very last song is Bring on the Monsters. What do you think? Not much to say. I guess I'll just combine it with my final thoughts. Yeah, go for it. Um, Yeah, I feel like the last couple of songs really fall short for me. I was quite disappointed. They're not that memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, music in general was just pretty average. Not too great, but not too horrible. But I feel like forgettable is actually worse than bad. Because <laughs> a lot of songs, you can probably tell, like I can't really recall like melody wise or even just where it happens the plot I, am, I remember the plot I just don't remember where the songs happen um and that just says how much about the songs really is on the forgettable side of skill for me um and the overall productions feels quite tacky like I said it feel more like a high school or a community center production rather than a Broadway show and for me, I always prefer something that's more deep and heartfelt. So this show is supposed to be more of the fun and cute side of things that's really targeted towards the fans or young teens. So I'm definitely not in the targeted audience demographic. So not my cup of tea, I will say. It's not a thought-provoking masterpiece by any chance, which is okay. And I still enjoy the more chill musical, like a Harry Potter musical and the mm-hmm. sequel. Um, but overall, because it is Broadway, I definitely do have higher standards. And this is definitely not meeting those standards. But honestly, I actually really enjoy Greek mythology and I'm very familiar with the gods. So one thing I do like about the the show is that they include Hades because that's my favorite god from Greek mythology. Um, And I do like when they give them a shout out, be like, everybody always thinks Hades is the bad guy when really in the actual mythology, he's not a bad person. Like he's not a bad god. He doesn't ever do anything bad other than just like abducting one person to be his wife but that was it (laughs) (laughs) compared to all the crazy things like other gods have done like he is including Poseidon yeah yeah. (laughs) he is definitely on the more um just and and fair side of side of scale anyways I really do like him um but one thing I didn't really like what they did with him was how he wanted to cause a war because he's lonely like first of all he's not god of death like he just governs the underworld yeah so killing more people won't actually make him more powerful or anything so that wouldn't be a motivation at all so i have a lot of question regarding like that in the book okay good good that do him justice good yeah. um <laughs> 
<laughs> he still wanted the yeah. lightning bolt, but not because of that. Like it wasn't like okay. that. Okay. 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 Good. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I enjoy a lot of the Greek hero tales is not just because like it's talking about like adventure and glory, but also it's a lot of the tragedies that kind of describe like man touched by war and that kind of thing. But this is very like young adult version of that so obviously it doesn't touch on those themes so again it's targeted towards younger audience which uh, makes me enjoy it less but I still really enjoy that aspect of it I guess so um and also like I said it's very built towards its fans so not to the point that they exclude everybody else but definitely at the risk of excluding like like making me feel like I'm a stranger, you know, you know, that feeling when you goes to like a mutual friend's party and you're just kind of standing there in the corner trying to fit in, but you're not really knowing anybody and you're not really fitting in. You're not On the really outside always looking in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly like that. So that's how I felt when I was watching this, because mm-hmm. I can understand why fans will go crazy about this, but I just don't get it that much. <laughs> so um, it's not that inclusive. It's not that friendly to people mm-hmm. who are not familiar with the productions. But uh, if you really are a fan, which I am sure you do, um, or you are, sorry, and you will definitely enjoy it because it does have a lot of like details that goes back to the book. So I feel <laughs> like it will... So I feel like that would probably do the book more justice than the movie. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I've been seeing online. A lot of people definitely prefer the musical over the movie. And I can't understand why. <laughs> yeah. But it just, I'm not a fan. I didn't read the book. So it didn't do the trick for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you're on the outside always looking in, imagine how awkward it must be to be on the inside and still not really getting the hype. Like, I think the musical is very passionate about the source material, which I like, and there are a lot of elements of the musical that I do like. But as you mentioned, the fans of the musical are very dedicated, and most of the people within the Percy Jackson fandom, at the very least on Tumblr, really, really like the musical. Like, they think it's very well done, and they like many of the aspects of it and I'm so happy they do I am missing it a little bit even though I saw it live and I came in with the best intention because I heard the hype I didn't want to like have ambiguous feelings about it I felt like I was missing something that they got and I'm glad they got but I didn't if we go back to like the story itself in terms of like bring on the monsters I just really don't understand how and why they decided that going into the real world is going to fix things and what they're trying to achieve exactly in the first place this doesn't make much sense to me as a conclusion in general I think they should have made it more of a contained story rather than leave it open-ended capturing Luke and sending him to the Olympus for the gods to deal with just to make sure it's all contained in one thing and doesn't live as open-ended and in case they do want to have a sequel even though I really hope they they want because sequels for Broadway level musicals rarely go well and I'm looking at you love never dies but if they did want to have a sequel (laughs) if they did want to have a sequel they could just say Luke escaped and continue the story from there it doesn't really take much apart from that I found the song to be quite enjoyable it seems like a cute moment 
going back to the opening set and uh, setting but with Percy in it so like in the opening everybody's there besides Percy and in the closing Percy is integrated to show that he is in the know and in a better space than was than he was before I just don't think the conclusion worked here at all it left things very messily it came out of nowhere and I'm a little bit disappointed with how they left things I think Mm -hmm. it sours the musical for me Overall, I really found the cast to be very charming. They clearly are having the time of their life. They're really passionate about this. The storybook is quite passionate about this. And the fact that they have to juggle so many roles uh, within the musical, like some of them even like four or five different roles and having to make it work, I think it's really impressive. The songs, I enjoyed the majority of them. Some of them are quite forgettable, I agree with you. But the ones that aren't forgettable, I think I would go back to and listen to even if it's just a few set design as we mentioned it does look a little bit cheap and it does look a little bit tacky when you make the transition from pre-Broadway to Broadway you do have different expectations and these expectations were not met within this musical but nonetheless I don't think kids are very discriminating critics and if somebody is having good fun then the kids will be having good fun even if they are just throwing toilet paper rolls so in that regard I do think that the musical is very children oriented Disney Pixar DreamWork proved to us children oriented media can be appealing to everybody but I don't think this is necessarily the case Unless maybe you're already a fan of the material you read when you were a kid and this is something you can viscerally connect to. Not always, though. Before we give our final ranking, let me surprise and delight you with a quiz. All right. So today we are doing the quiz that's called Percy Jackson Character Quiz. Who are you? And this is from the bookriot.com. All right. Which two words best describe you? Sarcastic and brave, witty and strategic, cheerful and thoughtful, loyal and stubborn, curious and secretive. Curious and secretive. I'm really curious myself about all your secrets. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do loyal and stubborn. Okay. Choose a snack. A latte, fruit, cannoli, trail mix. I'll usually pick cannoli, but I'm going to pick fruit because I'm cutting down my sugar. I'm going to pick a latte, interpreting latte as coffee. In your free time, what can you be found doing? Trying out the newest cafe in town, breaking the time record in the local escape room, sketching in solitary peace and quiet, swimming in the ocean, exploring a museum or library, playing a strategic board game or card game. Um, exploring new cafe. Me too. (laughs) I was really debating between this and exploring a museum or library because when I go to a cafe, unless I'm studying or doing some work, what I would do at a cafe would be reading. So technically it would be both, but let's go with a cafe. Okay. You have a free day. Do you head outside or stay inside? Stay inside. Same. What is one of your biggest fears? People knowing your deepest secret Staring down from a great height, being in a small enclosed space, bugs crawling all over your skin. Oh, it's going to be height or bugs. Mm-hmm. Mm, bugs. Me too. You're faced with a crafty monster. What is your best defense? Use your muscles to crack some skulls, send nature after it, enrage it, and then strike. Identify its weak spot and then go from, from there. 
This is a horrible question. Yeah. Um, weak spot, probably. Yeah, me too. Which image calls to you? Forest with sunlight, dark night with moon, waves in the sun, lightning crackling across sky, flowers and blue skies. Waves in the sun. Me too. What musician slash band do you adore? This is awkward because I don't listen to any of them, but 21 Pilots, Sufjan Stevens, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, it looks Scandinavian, BTS, Haim, Billie Eilish. I'm going to pick BTS, but I actually don't follow them. They're just the only band I really know. Yeah. I listen to one, at least one song from all of them, except for the Scandinavian sounding one, Sufjan Stevens. But I listen to two songs from Billie Eilish, so I'm going to pick them. <laughs> you have a crush. What do you do? Fawn over them with your heart on your sleeve. Nothing since you don't usually crush on anyone. Hide it until you're sure they feel the same way. Ask them out once you realize how you feel. Act extra awkward around them. Hide it. Okay, nothing. When your best friend is having a tough day, what do you do? Plot out a solution to their problem. Try to cheer them up. Offer to fight to the death for them. Try to cheer them up. Same. Who did you get? I got Percy. Nice. Ouch. Why? Oh, I just, I actually didn't really like Percy, but okay. Oh no. Okay, do you want to read the description? You're Percy, you're a funny, compassionate, and natural leader. You sometimes get in trouble for your sense of humor and your loyalty to your friends. Oh my God, this, this just disappeared. Um, can get you into some crazy situations, but ultimately you'll find a way out. All right. Uh, Grover, you're a Grover. You're kind and joy to be around. You aren't afraid to let your feelings be known. It disappeared on me too. You aren't afraid to let your feelings be known or to stand up for your friends. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So now that we're done with the quiz portion, let's go into our very final ranking. Drum roll, please. I'll give it four out of 10 blue food. All right. I'm going to give it a five pink poodles. I know okay. there weren't any pink poodles in there, but I missed it. So <laughs> I'm going to do pink poodles instead of talking squirrel. Okay. All right. If you want to talk to us about this very episode, about any previous episode we covered, or if you want to recommend to us musicals and especially plays, please go talk to us either on Instagram, Twitter, or Reddit. Probably not Twitter. I'm not very active there, but definitely Reddit and Instagram. Uh, you can contact us at Podway Podcast. You can also contact us at podwaypodcast at gmail.com if you are not a social media person. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye. Bye.